have not turned there, please turn with me to the book of Psalm chapter 100. And as we dive in, I want to share with you a story. Uh, there was a man by the name of Dr. Raymond Edmond. He was a missionary, a college president, um, an educator, an author, and a friend to countless people. Billy Graham once met, met Dr. Edmond, and Billy Graham said this. He said, he was the most unforgettable Christian I've ever met in my life. Edmund served as the chancellor of Wheaton College for many, many years, and he died in 1967, doing probably one of the most uh, amazing things that he could do and probably one of the most appropriate settings unimaginable, though surely it was traumatic for the people who witnessed his death. Now, Dr. Edmund uh, was preaching the chapel service at Wheaton College and unexpectedly died in the middle of his sermon unexpectedly died in the middle of his sermon. Crazy enough, he was preaching on the topic of worship. Preaching on the topic of worship. That morning, Dr. Edmund stepped up to the platform and he shared with his listeners a personal anecdote, an experience in which he had an opportunity to be in the presence of the king of Ethiopia. And he said that I had to observe strict protocol in order just to step into the same room as the king. He said if you didn't follow or meet all of the criteria that was laid out, you would be judged unworthy and you would not be able to enter into that room. He then goes on to draw parallels with attending a weekly worship service for us here in America. And he said that the Western church here in America has forgotten that they have an audience with the King of Kings. He then goes on to say that if the ruler of Ethiopia or any other nation were to step into God's presence, they would automatically fall at the feet of Jesus because they would see themselves unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord of the Lords, the King of Kings. He then goes on to say that he feels as though the church today struggles to comprehend the awesome act of worship. He went on to offer practical suggestions to his audience that day. Ways to make worship services more meaningful to the individual. He even went as far as to say that he felt as though people should be praying their entire way to worship service. And even as they enter the door so that they would have a realization of whose presence they were entering. And just like that, in the midst of giving godly and wise counsel, Dr. Edmund himself was taken from amongst them completely removed. He was gone to meet the Lord face to face. In his last, and what I would say, his greatest sermon illustration, Raymond Edmund got to share what it meant to live a lifestyle of worship. He spent every moment of his life from the age of 16 until his death in missions, in education, preaching the gospel. And in his death, he was instantly in the presence of God. And I would hope this morning 
that it would be into God's presence that we would want to go as well. And the psalm that we are about to read this morning is a literary masterpiece to tell us how we should enter into this presence that we get to experience on a weekly basis. You know, someone once told me that the Bible is shallow enough that the immature can play without drowning. But it's deep enough that the mature can never touch the bottom. I'm going to say it again. The Bible is shallow enough that the immature can play without drowning. But it's deep enough that even the most mature will never ever touch the bottom. That the word of God, the very thing that we get to read, and such is the psalm that we are about to hear. Such is the psalm. The psalm does not contain a single concept that is not talked about in multiple other places in the Bible. And as you study out these five verses, you will, you will see an impression that is inappropriate for us to barge into the presence of God. It's inappropriate. The holy place in which God dwells requires of us to take necessary steps or, or proper preparedness in order to enter in. Do you know that God is willing to meet us anywhere, at any place, at any time? But when he, he meets with us, he comes with an agenda to change us. Would you guys agree with that this morning? All two of you, great. Would you agree that God prepares to meet with us and has an agenda to change our lives? I find it very interesting, though, that our culture is willing to wait for hours and hours and hours, standing in lines to catch a glimpse of a celebrity who's probably not even following God. To attend a concert that lyrics will be sung that don't honor and glorify God. Or we stand in line outside of Best Buy at Christmas time because we have to get the latest zombie killing game for our child. And we will camp outside of places to get our hands on something that in the grand scheme of things is completely meaningless. And yet we think of nothing when we attempt to run into the presence of God ill-prepared. It hurts my heart as a pastor to know that people all over the globe do that very thing. There's a, a protocol that we should follow whenever we enter into the presence of the king. And Psalm 100 shows us the pathway into God's presence as if it were a procession for a dignitary. And this is what, and this is what it says. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you right now, Lord. And we ask of you in this place to illuminate the truth as we begin to break down these, these five verses. Lord, show us what it means to worship, to enter into your gates, to be prepared to meet you and be in your presence. God, I pray right now for walls and barriers to be broken down, that our minds would have clarity of thought, and that we would be willing to receive and ready to be changed for you. That we would walk away from this building today with a better understanding of what it means to be a worshiper, what it means to follow certain truths of your word before we even attempt to approach you. God, do a work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. The first thing I want us to see this morning in this passage of Scripture is that we should raise our voice to God. Raise our voice to God. I want to reread to you the very first verse. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. The writer here is repeating what he said two chapters earlier in, in Psalm 98 in verse 4. Make a joyful noise. The original wording here in the Hebrew signifies that a glad shout has been given. Or one has blasted a trumpet because someone has stepped into the room. It's like a loyal subject who's giving their king honor and praise. Make a joyful noise. Now, um, real quick, I just, I'm going to chase a rabbit trail for here uh, in just a moment. Um, in all of my years of ministry, whenever a verse like this is shared, I've had people say to me, well, I can't sing. I'm tone deaf. Um, so church, I'm encouraging you and I'm telling you to, to make a joyful noise when you enter into this building. And, and church, if your neighbor is tone deaf, don't stare at them. Don't stare at them during worship, okay? Allow for them to sing and worship God just as you are. God doesn't care how amazing your voice is. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. And if you are worshiping from a heart of praise, from one having experienced the power and the presence of God, it doesn't matter if you can hit every single note. It does not matter at all. But don't stare at your neighbor and worship God. And worship God. You know, we don't see royalty here in Ionia, Michigan. We don't. We have a culture that if, uh, if a celebrity were to step foot here, people would begin to shout and run towards whoever it was, even if you didn't even like that person. I've seen it happen before, numerous times when we lived just outside of Tampa. We would have people who would come in. Before I went into ministry, my wife and I worked in a restaurant. 
And we used to have famous people in our restaurant on a weekly basis. And they would walk through the front doors. And it didn't matter if you knew who the person was. If someone's like, oh my word, they're in a movie. Like it would be like this mass gathering around this person. It's just a natural tendency for people to run towards and give attention to someone who is quote unquote famous. Quote unquote famous. Now, the thing that I struggle with here is we are commanded in Scripture to make a joyful noise, which means to shout triumph or to have a battle cry because you're in the presence of God. And we have churches that, that we have people that come in and they sit with their arms crossed or their arms folded and they'll never, ever, ever sing a lick of a song ever when we're in this place. We were gathered here today and commanded to shout for joy because we are entering in to the presence of God. Entering in. God has an agenda to meet with us. Are we going to give him the time of day? Is he worth enough to you, church? Is he worth enough that you will allow for him to meet you here when we gather corporately? When we enter into God's presence. We're raising our voice to get his attention. Not in a rude or a dis disrespectful way, but when we walk down the path to worship God, your heart should be moved so much so that you cannot be quiet. We are not raising our voice in this place to draw attention to ourselves. We're raising our voice to our creator, the one who deserves it. Which leads to my second point this morning. I need us to see that we need to render honor to God. Render honor to God. He says, serve the Lord with gladness in verse number two. Do you know that the, the word serve used throughout scripture is, is, is to denote both an overall way of life. So the, the broader picture of how we should live, but it is a specific activity. A personal use of the term to serve God is to give God honor. It's not about me. It's not about being thanked for my voice. It's not about being thanked because I changed the trash it's not about being thanked because I scrubbed the toilet downstairs after it got used. It's about serving the Lord because I want to give you honor with everything that I do in my life. Everything I say, every step I take, every decision that I make, I'm honoring God. Serve, serve God with gladness. The psalmist here is talking specifically, though, about the act of praising do you know that we glorify God when we ascribe the honor and adoration that is due Him? But what really is worship? In this specific sense of praise and adoration, I believe the Puritan and great theologian of yesteryear, Stephen Sharnock, called it nothing but rendering to God what is due Him. John MacArthur said that it's honor and adoration that is directed back to God. And one of my favorite authors outside of C.S. Lewis is A.W. Tozer. 
And he said that God wants to cultivate within us an adoration and an admiration for which he is worthy. And he goes on to say that he wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and the magnitude and splendor of who he is. Render honor to God. Raise your voice to God. And the the third thing I want us to see is to release a song of praise. To release a song of praise. Look at the rest of verse number two with me. It says, come into his presence with singing. With singing. You know that our shouts, our joyful shouts will turn into songs. Music is the form through which we express our gladness and our joy and our praise. Our songs are not to create gladness, but to express it. It's not to create gladness, it's to express it. Through our singing, we approach God. It's an anticipation for heaven. Do you know, do you, do you know? That when you die and you go to, I'm, I'm going to just chase this rabbit trail for a minute. I can't stand, it bothers the fire out of me when someone dies and someone says rest in peace. When you get to heaven, you will not be resting. You will be worshiping God in heaven for the rest of your life. That may seem like rest to many But you will not be in a place of lying still in heaven. You will be in the presence of God. You will not be able to remain still in the presence of God. You will be singing and worshiping and glorifying and honoring him in his presence. So guess what? You better learn to start doing it right here, right now while you still have your life. Because that's what you're doing for the rest of your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Worship. Honor. Music is the vehicle that stirs the emotions. It's the vehicle that expresses the heart. But music in and of itself is not worship. Music in and of itself is not worship. It's a part of the protocol to prepare the heart and set the stage for a moment of encounter with God. If you don't get anything else, Today, don't miss this. Music is a sacrifice of praise, not a synonym to replace worship. Music is a sacrifice of praise, not a synonym to replace worship. I agree. Very much so with John MacArthur who said that music and liturgy assist or express a worshiping heart. But they cannot make a non-worshiping heart into a worshiping one. Music and speech alone do not make a worshiping heart. The danger that we have in so many churches is that we give a non-worshiping heart the sense of having worshipped. It's sad because the crucial factor in worshiping the church is not the form of worship, but the state of the heart of the people who walk in this building. 
If our corporate worship is not expressed or not an expression of what our individual worship live is, then it's unacceptable to God. If you step into this building and you do not express your worship when we are here corporately, then it's unacceptable according to what we are commanded here in Scripture. Don't walk into this building unprepared to worship God. We are coming here to enter into his presence and so many people miss it. We walk away unchanged. We walk away unmoved because we were not even ready to meet him. What if God came back right now in this moment of time? I would be rejoicing, absolutely, as I know many of you would. But what if God returned right now in this moment and you were completely caught off guard because your heart was not prepared to meet the king? The sad reality is that there are many who are unprepared. think in this place that you can live any way that you want and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn into the worship of a saint, then you're wrong. But it starts somewhere. Your worship has to start somewhere. And it's with the next point this morning. You have to recognize who God is. You have to recognize who God is. Look at verse number 3. Psalm 100 verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And I want to pause here for just a moment. For just a moment. Like a subject that curtsies before a king. Before approaching the throne, what about a soldier that will salute a five-star general? To recognize that they're entering into the presence of someone who is, is seen by others as, as greater, of more importance than them. What if we as believers entered into God's house the way that a soldier would salute a five-star general? What if we... As believers entered into God's house as though we were about to step into the presence of the king. How would that affect and how would that change the way that you walked up those stairs out there? How would it change the way that you interacted with God's people? How would it change the way that you lifted your voice? Even if you can't sing. How would it change the way you prayed? How would it change the way that you served or the way that you gave? When we step in to the presence 
God, we must acknowledge Him as Savior. We must submit to Him. And we remind ourselves of who God is. But at the same time, we're reminded of who we are. He is the creator, and we are the created. He is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. He is the commander, and we are his army. We are completely dependent upon him for everything. Completely. In other words, what I have said numerous times, he is God and we are not. He is God. I remember several years ago, I was gone on a missions trip. And it had been a long week. Extremely long week. And I remember... Um, our team was exhausted. And we were ready to get back home. I was ready to sleep in my own bed. Anyone ever have that feeling? Like you're gone and though you may be on vacation, but you just want to get in your own bed. I remember this one forgettable moment though, unforgettable moment, where we are almost back to our church. We are almost back to our family and to our friends. And I know that as we are about to pull into our church parking lot, there are hundreds of people there because a church service had just ended. And there's people there ready to greet our team. It was myself and a couple of our adult leaders and a group of teenagers. And I remember... In that very moment of time, as I'm about to get out, everyone is anxiously waiting to see their kid or to see their spouse. And I know that there's this press of bodies as we're attempting to get out of our vehicles to get to our families. And I knew that I would not be able to see Bree or our three kids. We didn't have Jedediah at the time. I knew I would not be able to pick them out right away because there were just so many people there. But as I look across, as I'm, I'm stepping out of the vehicle, as I look across, I saw Naomi. And she was just walking, and she'd been talking for months and months and months. And I remember her shouting something, and she said, Daddy, that, Daddy, Daddy, that's my Daddy. And I wanted to get to her so bad. But there were so many people everywhere, and she broke through the people as she was so small. And she came running across the parking lot, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, that's my Daddy. And she said it over and over and over again. And as I reached down, she flew into my arms, and I picked her up. And I thought to myself, that was the warmest welcome that I've ever had from one of my children in my entire life. And she hugged my neck so tightly. She said, Daddy, I miss you. Daddy, I'm glad you're home. And I remember, I remember in that very moment of time how fulfilling it was to be recognized by one of my kids. It was a moment that brought so much joy that even today, 
as I sit and I talk about it and I think about it, that same feeling just begins to stir back up in my heart. And I wonder, I wonder if that's how God feels when his kids enter his presence and say, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I want to just be here at your feet. Daddy, I just want to sit in your presence. Daddy, I don't want anything else. Daddy, I just want you. Mentally, we have to acknowledge the God of the universe. But the foundation stems from knowing who God is. The foundation of our worship comes from that. And then there's the precursor to the praise. I I know, I recognize who you are. I recognize what you do, what you have done. And guess what? Just like I tell you every single week, there was a response. There's a response when you recognize who God is is. I want to draw on an analogy here that I believe the psalmist was referring to, and it's the temple. The temple here, he informs us on how we open the door to God's presence. He's telling us with these five short verses that the gates were the outer part of the walls that surrounded the temple grounds. And he says to enter the temple's complex gates or temple that's complex, and you do it through the gate. He's saying you open the doors to it. Enter God's presence, and you go through the gate, and you do it with thanksgiving. And he tells us we're here to thank God for what he has done. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Verse number four. Do you know that once we get through the gates of the temple, the worship enters the courts with praise, and here we extol God for who he is? That's what we get to do here. Don't ever think when you enter this building that you have to worship. You get to worship. You get to worship God. And when we enter, we're ready to give him the honor and the praise in which he is is due And we get a sense in that moment, from the outside to the inside, the closer that we get to the presence of God, we're no longer praising, but we're worshiping. We're ready. Our thanksgiving sets the stage for worship. Our thanksgiving. If you go back and read, I would encourage you, when you leave here today, go back and read Romans chapter 1. Go back and read Romans chapter 1. You see Paul talk about the unthankful heart and how sin stems from unthankful hearts. And how unthankfulness leads to discontentment. And discontentment leads to us being turned over to our sin because we have completely turned away from God. 
Why do you think over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we are said, give thanks to God, give thanks to God, give thanks to God. Give. Why? Because sinfulness stems from unthankful hearts. Sinfulness stems from unthankful hearts. And praise in this moment of time is to anticipate what is coming. We are entering God's presence through the gate of thanksgiving. And as we praise, we're working our way into worship. And the worship is the way that we encounter the living God. David Edwards, in his book, Worship 365, said this, that when we praise God, we are ringing the doorbell making our presence known, and letting him know that we have come to see him. And when he hears our praise, he gets up to open the door and he invites us in. And when we come inside, we move from praise to worship. And he goes on to say that in other words, praise is the vehicle into God's presence and worship is what we do once we are there. While God is everywhere, and we talked on week one about God's omnipresence. We also talked about God's revealed presence in that same week. And how it occurs when we worship God. God has chosen to manifest himself in the praises of his people. There was a song that... Um, early early Christian uh, group called the Imperials. Um, when the Imperials became a group, um, they were, quote-unquote, seen as of the devil because they had guitars and they had drums. And there was this song that they used to sing, and uh, I remember listening to it on, on records um, my, that my parents used to play, like 45s. And they had this album of the Imperials, and I'll never forget it. It was like this, this like burgundy-covered album, and it had a, a, like a medallion on the front of it. And the song was called Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the song goes on to tell us that God inhabits praise. The praises of his people. And Satan wants us to get away from praising God, but God inhabits the praises of his people. It's exactly what the writer is telling us. We should be singing and shouting and giving praise to God as often as we can in this life. Why? So that we're constant, constantly connected and in communion with the giver of life. That's why David himself wrote just a few chapters prior to, to this psalm right here. He said, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. David himself knew that God was enthroned in praises. You know, praise creates an atmosphere for an audience with the king. We come before God with thanksgiving and praises are upon our lips. Which is what leads me to our last thing this morning and that's return thanksgiving to God. Return. Give thanks to Him. 
Do you notice the repetition in verse number 4? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Giving thanks to God and praising him are stated two times in the same exact verse. Do you know that word there to praise and give thanksgiving means to kneel? It's the Hebrew word meaning kneel. To kneel before one. It communicates the idea of showing honor or homage to God by kneeling before Him. So church family, I need you to know that true worship always revolves around falling at the feet of Jesus. True worship always revolves around falling at the feet of Jesus. The psalmist reminds us that the Lord is good in verse 5. Says that he is gracious. His love endures forever. Meaning his, his mercy is eternal. It's boundless. And when he says that his steadfast love endures forever. He's saying that there is a covenant that God has made with his people. That God has bound us as his people to himself. A covenant that cannot be revoked. It cannot be abandoned. The faithfulness endures through all generations. How many of you know that God is not fickle? God is not fickle. How many of you have ever experienced that God is not forgetful? God remembers. God's love is not fractured. He gives. I keep running back to music today for whatever reason. Songs just keep coming in my head. There was a song that I was introduced to several months back, maybe a year and a half ago. And it says that you don't give your heart in pieces. And you don't hide your love to tease us. And that your love is not fractured. And that it's never unkind. That it's always faithful. It's always present. It's always looking out for our good. That's the steadfast love of the Lord. That endures forever. How many of you have a, a difficult time loving people? It's okay. Don't, don't say out loud who it is, but how many of you have a difficult time loving people? Aren't you glad that God does not have a difficult time loving you? The essence of worship is to bless the essence of worship is to fall down, to ascribe glory to the name of God. It's gripped in the depth of our being by the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of our creator. And at that point, you'll have truly worshipped. At that point, you'll truly have encountered God and your worship is not the shout or the singing or the thanksgiving or the praising but those are just the preludes to the worship. It's encountering the person of God as revealed by his name. Worship is an audience with the king. 
I grew up in a, a church that sang only hymns. And I remember some of those songs as a child singing them and they made so much more sense now. And the hymns refer to these truths about being in the audience of the king over and over and over again. There was a song that we used to sing that said, Oh, worship the king, all glorious above. And then we used to sing, Praise the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Come thou, Almighty King, help us sing thy name. When we come to worship, we come to meet the king. And like an earthly king, there is certain protocol that we must follow to meet him. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine just recently. He said, Josh, what are you guys, what are you guys um, doing in church right now for a series? And I told him that we we're doing a series called Made to Worship. And I was just sharing with him kind of what we have talked about. And he said, he said, I've found in my 35 years of ministry that there are two kinds of worshipers. Two kinds of worshipers. He said, flatlanders and highlanders. And I laughed and I was like, is that supposed to mean? And he goes on to say, well, flatlanders live in only two dimensions. They are well-versed in the faith. They know the lay of the land. They know the routine, and they love the routine. He said the only problem is that they're living in the horizontal realm. They're living in the horizontal realm. And he said they don't know that there is an up to life. They don't know that there is an up life. He said highlanders are simply flatlanders who have discovered worship. They've discovered what it means to worship. He said they're constantly pushing up and up and up to experience God. And he said what a privilege we have been afforded to enter into the presence of the king. What a privilege we've been afforded. So church what needs to change in your worship? What needs to change in your praise? What needs to change in your thanksgiving? Balcony? Online? What needs to change? And how do you respond? Next week, we're going to be wrapping up this series, Made to Worship. We are called in God's word to be a sacrifice. To follow the Lord is to sacrifice. And I want us as a church body to be prepared to meet Jesus. Be prepared to enter the presence of the king. As next week we will reflect upon and examine ourselves through communion here at church we'll have a moment of time in the service where we can ask God to search our heart reveal to us God anything that is unclean within me so that I, I can walk the narrow path The writer of Psalm 119 said, Blessed is the man whose way is blameless. Blessed is the 
is the man whose way is blameless. So church, are you ready? Are you ready to worship? But are you ready to commune with God? Are you ready to get real with the Lord? Are you ready to ask the hard questions and allow God to reveal himself to you in fresh and new ways? Because it's coming. And I don't want us to be afraid. Pray. God, we just thank you in this place. We thank you for truth. We thank you for examples that we can follow. God, we thank you for for moments that we have to gather corporately together every single week. God, I'm asking of you right now that you would continue to press upon each and every one of us in this place. That we would go home and meditate upon those questions. Are we ready to truly worship you? Are we ready to follow you? No matter the cost, no matter, no matter what it is, God, are we ready to chase your way? Are we ready to lay it down? Are we ready to sacrifice? Because, God, that's what you're calling us to do. We were made to worship God I pray in this place that we worship the right God, the true and only God. God, stir in this place. Move in this place. Make us so uncomfortable with where we are at right now that we would have to come to you. And when we do, God, help us come with humble hearts, ready to be molded and shaped, ready as as pliable, pliable churchgoers, pliable believers and followers, so that you can chisel out of us the flesh. Shape us more into your image. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Church, if you are in here this morning and you would like prayer uh, for anything at all, please, uh, we will be up here waiting for you um, and ready to speak with you. Um, If you have any other questions uh, or need anything in regards to any of the announcements from earlier, uh, please see myself, Kathy, uh, one of the other leaders here in the church. Now, outside of that, thank you guys for being with us for our worship service today. We love you guys. Have a blessed week, and we will see you next week. You are sent.